Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, John. Good morning, Will. Good morning. And Becky and Bill and Alex and JP, everybody here. And the hundreds of thousands of people watching via Facebook Live. I'm sure that's a reasonable estimate. Uh, so a little order of business before we get started. If you would like to amen something that is said in the sermon, simply text John Tyler. And upon receipt of your text, he will do his best impression of your voice uh, to amen. There we go. First one. That's great. Uh, we are continuing our study in Galatians. We find ourselves this morning in Galatians 5, 16 uh, through 25. That is where we'll be studying this morning. And so I'm going to read that passage to you from the English Standard Version Bible. And then we will pray and we will hear the sermon that God has for us this morning. Again, I'm reading in verse 16 of Galatians 5. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Lord, in these strange times and strange scenarios, I pray that your gospel rings true. I pray that your gospel reaches out through technology and Lord, I pray that it cuts us to the heart, that we would hear the message you would have us hear, myself included, uh, this morning from Galatians 5. I pray that you would give me clarity, help me to say the things you desire me to say. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we are in a very well-known passage this morning, the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, for those of you that may be joining us for the first time, we're going to do a quick recap. What have we learned in Galatians so far? Uh, what do we learn? First, we learn from Paul as he wrote this letter to the Galatians that we cannot earn our salvation. We cannot behave well enough. We cannot follow God's law perfectly enough in order to be found right in his eyes. We know that. That's what Paul is getting at here. They had gone to the law to, to earn their righteousness. And now he has told them, and we know for, for us as well, you can't do that. And we also know, furthermore, that it, not only is it impossible to go that route, but if you try to earn your righteousness before God, to earn your salvation by behavior, it's not only impossible, it's also sinful. We can't do it. It's wrong. So it leaves us with one alternative, salvation by faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This is the message of faith to the Galatians, that Jesus, God in human form, came to, to the earth and he did work for us. And the work that he has done for us and on our behalf, and through that work, he offers us his righteousness freely. And so what do we have to do to be saved? We simply have to believe that that last statement, that Christ has done it all for us, is true. 
and through belief we will be saved. And so for the last two sermons, as we've gone through Galatians 5, we're in the practical part of the book. The last two sermons have shown the, the personal and the communal ramifications of either following the law or following faith. We've seen how it can either lead us to a place that is we are abandoned from Christ. We cannot find him. Or we are in a place where we, we receive grace and mercy and righteousness and forgiveness all free. We've seen the effects on the church. Either we're going to be a biting, devouring church focused on law, or we're going to be a church that's lovingly serving one another. Today, we're going to go through this famous passage on the fruits of the Spirit. But before we do, uh, we have to understand a theological concept. So understand this with me. We've been talking about faith. We've been talking about law. We have to understand that saving faith, saving faith, that the moment we come to see Jesus and believe in Him in a way that saves us, that moment is born from a powerful transforming, regenerative encounter with the Holy Spirit. So let me explain from Scripture. You can look at this in Ephesians 2, Colossians 2, John 5, 1 John 3. But let me explain just briefly what I mean. We are born dead in sin. We're born completely dead, not injured, not sick, not maimed. We're not just limping along. No, we are born spiritually dead in sin. Spiritually dead. We have no breath, no ability to save ourselves. And so in that state of deadness, what does God do? God approaches the spiritually dead sinner. God approaches them. And through the power of the Spirit on behalf of the work that Jesus Christ has done for the sinner, what does God do? God jolts sinners back to life. Their heart is pumping once again. They, they breathe that spiritual breath for the first time. Their eyes are open. Their senses are awake. And what happens? As soon as they are brought back to life, they see what Christ has done, and that is the moment of faith. We have to understand this, that we were dead and God approached, and because of his approach and his power and what he has done, we are now made alive, able to have faith. We also have to understand that from that moment, from that moment of spiritual rebirth, that moment of regeneration, the rest of our Christian lives are powered with the Holy Spirit. We are never free from its touch, its influence. And so I, I, I bring that point up because we're going to start this passage at the very end. We're going to go to verse 25. Verse 25 helps us understand what this passage is about. Let me read it to you. We're going to read it in two sections. So draw your attention to verse 25 of Galatians 5. It says, if we live by the Spirit, stop there. What is Paul saying? These words mean this. If that regenerative action that I just described has happened, if you have been brought back to life by the power of the Holy Spirit, if that thing, that saving faith moment has taken place where God approached you, a dead sinner, and made you alive again, if that has taken place, then what? The rest of verse 25, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Because we are alive, because as verse 18 says, we are free from the law. It says in verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. That means if the Spirit has regenerated you, you are free. Because we are free, because we are alive, because the Spirit is in us, because our heart has been renewed, there is a different trajectory to our lives. That's what this verse is saying. If we are alive by the Spirit, if that moment has happened, then let us keep in step with the Spirit. There is a different motivational system in our heart. 
there's a different way in which we walk this life. So that, that phrase, we're going to see it in verse 16, we're going to see it in verse 25, this idea of walking or keeping in step. What does it mean? It means to walk as the Spirit leads, to carefully observe what the Spirit wants us to do, how it wants us to live, what it wants us to know. And as we observe that thing, we follow it, we obey it, we affirm it. And so verse 25 shows this trajectory and what Paul's going to do with the rest of this passage leading up to that verse is describe this trajectory. He's going to describe it. So I'm going to ask you to join me in, in, in verses 16 and 17 to begin. And Paul wants us to understand from this passage first that in our spiritual walk, there is a complicating factor. There's a complicating factor. Verses 16 and 17, un, they kind of unfurl, they kind of reveal a problem that we have to deal with. They reveal a problem. First, look at me with, at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What Paul is doing in these first two verses, he's pitting two things against one another. I just told you that because of the action of the Spirit, we have this new motivational system in our heart that doesn't do away completely with the old motivational system in our heart. And so the complicating factor for us, as we see in 16 and 17, is we are living with this thing called the spirit, the re renewed heart of Christians, and this thing called the flesh, the sin, the seat of sin and rebellion. So what's verse 16 saying? I love this. What, it, what verse 16 is saying is this. The spiritually satisfied life is a fleshly dissatisfied life. Do you hear that? If you satisfy and walk by the Spirit, what's going to be left unsatisfied? Your flesh. So let's walk through this carefully. Um, I'm going to use, the, there's three words here we have to really understand. Flesh and desires and gratifies. So we're going to walk backwards really through the verse here. But first, what is the flesh? I just mentioned it. It's the seat of rebellion and sin. It's not our skin and our organs and our mind and our, our all, all the things we have in our body. No, it is a reference to the fact that we have this nature, this sinful nature, and it's a sinful nature that desires one thing and one thing only, to be the Lord of our lives. And because it wants to be Lord of our lives, because we want to rule ourselves, everything we do from that nature is sin and rebellion against God. To understand that. Okay, that's what the flesh is. Now, the desires of the flesh, as we expand this phrase, what are the desires of the flesh? This is a really interesting word. Uh, it, the word that was used by the ESV translators doesn't really get at it. This word in the original language, it means something like hyper-craving, meaning the desires of our flesh don't just like good things. They like good things way too much. Feed me, feed me, feed me. It takes a little bit of something good and it over-desires it to the point where it replaces our love of God. And so what will happen if we walk by the Spirit? We will not gratify. Gratify means to satisfy 100%. If we walk by the Spirit, church, if we walk it, carefully observing what God would have for us in our lives, it's a guarantee that our flesh, the desires of our sinful nature will go unmet. They'll go unmet. And so in some sense, according to this passage, what Paul is describing here is that the Christian life is akin to a lifelong detoxification. It's a lifelong detoxification. We have this fleshly nature. We have this spiritual nature, and they are at war. If we look at verse 17, we see there's dueling desires. They're at battle. Verse 17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And guess what? The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. 
this word against means they're in battle. They're in battle with one another. So what is the reality of our spiritual walk? Is it easy breezy? I just do what God wants because that's all I desire? No. As we grow in Christ, what happens? We grow in a deep desire to do what Jesus wants us to do. We do that. That's honest. If, we, if we're growing in Christ, we want to please him. We want to be closer to him. We want to love him. But what do we have? This dueling desire from our flesh nature crying out, overfeed me. Overfeed me. Nom, 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 right? I don't know. They're laughing here. You might be laughing at home. Uh, listen, Romans 6 and 7 is a great expounding on this passage. And in Romans 7, here's what Paul has to say about this very thing. I find it to be a law, kind of like, think of a scientific law, so it happens every time. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, what happens? Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. He's saying, I actually want to do what God wants me to do. But what happens? In my flesh, another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. What is he saying in all these words? He's saying, every time I desire to do what Christ wants me to do, there's this other nagging voice inside of me saying, do the other thing, do the other thing. And then we get this, this famous uh, uh, a passage from Paul where he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? What's Paul's cry here? Get rid of this sinful nature, God. I just want to follow you and what the, my new motivation, the new trajectory of my life. And so what Paul has gotten at here is this, and, and what he's getting at here as well, the very last part of verse 17, what is the, what's the, the outcome of this battle of dueling desires? It keeps us from doing the things we want to do. Tim Keller says this, while our flesh glorifies and adores and yearns for all kinds of created things and conditions and people, the Spirit glorifies and adores and yearns for Jesus. And so what do we have? What is the complicating factor in our spiritual lives? It's the fact that we have a nature that desires to do what Jesus wants us to do. We have this nature that wants to follow the Spirit and keep in step with it. And we also have this nature that hates everything about that. And it's looking to distract you from that. And it's looking to step in the way of that trajectory. And so what we can learn from verses 16 and 17 is just this. We truly are our own worst enemies. We don't need other people to mess us up. We don't need other people to bring sin into our lives. We have everything we need to mess it up ourselves. And so what is the answer? The key is associated with this idea of walking by the Spirit from verse 16 and verse 25, keeping in step with the Spirit. The key is we are, we are on a set trajectory, either from the Spirit or from the flesh. And Paul takes the next few verses to describe in detail what those two trajectories look like. But the point here is this. If you could boil down the message of this passage to one phrase, it's this. Your life will bear the fruit of your focus. Your life will bear the fruit of your focus. If you are focused on the Spirit, if you're focused on keeping in step and walking in the ways that God wants you to walk, we'll get to what that means in a few moments. If you're focused there, guess what the fruit of your life's going to be? The, spirit, the, the fruit of the Spirit. But if you're focused on uh, satiating the, the fleshly desires, guess what the, 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 fruit, of your spirit, uh, the fruit of your life's going to be? The works of the flesh. And so let's take a look at verses 19 through 23. Paul gives very wisely, very good descriptions of both of these types of trajectories. And so if you live in careful observance, feeding your flesh, you get verses 19 through 21. Now what I'm going to do here, uh, there's a lot of um, different 
sins here, and I know that there are probably some young ears at home, so what I've done is I've categorized most of these sins. Uh, you may have to do some explaining at home, but uh, best of luck to you parents. All right. First of all, look at verse 20, the first word there, idolatry. If you could undergird all of these sins listed in this list, idolatry is kind of the one that's all of them. Idolatry is what? It's, it's loving something of the created world, can be good things, so much that it displaces your love of God. That's what idolatry is. We are idol factories, in case you're wondering. We love water. We love microphone. We love hand sanitizer. We love these things. And, and all of these things, probably not any of those things I just mentioned, but you get the idea. Um, uh, anything in this world that is good, what happens? Our flesh wants more and more and more of it until it becomes unhealthy. And so idolatry really undergirds all of these things. But you have three other categories of sins. First, you have a category of sexual sins. Um, the first three listed are in that category. And I want to say it this way. Those three words encompass anything outside the God-given use of sex. Those three words encompass any behavior that goes outside God's given, God's given use of sex. And so what is God's given use? God has gifted sex for a monogamous committed relationship between one man and one woman. There are three other words here, and you look at sorcery, drunkenness, and a better word for, for orgies would be carousing. These are all three have to do with uh, actually uh, recreationally altering your mind through chemicals. All right, sorcery, the, the word there is pharmakia. So you're thinking about mixing potions to modify your mindset. Uh, drunkenness is fairly self-explanatory, and then carousing is very similar to that. What I find fascinating is that eight of the 14 things listed in this list have to do with relationships, have to do with relationships. So sure, we have the sexual sins, we have the chemical sins, but what do we have? What's the main focus? Anger, ill will, bitter conflict, etc. Paul is very concerned with the sins that, that divide us and cause f- fraction in our lives. What's, what we can learn from this is that whether you're dealing with sexual sin or chemical sin or, or relational sin, every single one of these on equal footing are simply an attempt to satisfy the fleshly desires. That's all they are. And now this list isn't exhaustive. You see here, it says, and things like these in the middle of verse 20, 21. This is not the, these are not the only things that, we, that will be the works of the flesh, but this is a good sampling. But I want to apply this to you this morning. I want to say that this is exactly why the philosophy of you deserve to be happy or I deserve to be happy is so dangerous. Why? Because what it does, it says, listen, you know what you deserve? To satisfy the things that your flesh wants. It's, it's, a, it's a license to go out and, and, and focus on the nature that's at the very seat of our rebellion against God. So we have to be careful with that. I want to draw attention to the kind of casual (laughs) uh, few words here that might cause some of you to have your heart uh, race. It says here, those that those who do such things, very casual, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what I want you to hear about this. These words actually, uh, so it's important to know that this is a verb. It's in the active sense. And so it's ongoing. You're carrying on in these things. You're acting as if they are right which if we note it, every time we do sin, what are we doing? We're acting as if that is right to do. But here, I want you to hear this. It's not sporadic failures that you repent of. 
We cannot measure our salvation by our sporadic sins that, that, that grieve us, that we, we turn away from. No, this is a regular, deliberate, habitual pattern. And so what Paul is saying is, you, there's only one way to carry on in this kind of lifestyle, and that is if you never were in the kingdom in the first place. So the only way to indulge in this downward trajectory, trying to stuff and feed your flesh uh, producing the works of the flesh on a regular basis as your lifestyle, as if it is right, the only way to find that path, to be on that trajectory, is to not be saved. And so this is one reason each week we urge the confession of sin and repentance. We have to keep our flesh in check. We have to observe. We have to think and we have to, con- to, to mark and label and confess and make sure we are keeping a clear play and we are not indulging our flesh. I want to speak to those of you who might be listening this morning that maybe you're stuck in a sin that you cannot find freedom from. In this moment, I don't want you to have fear. I don't want you to have fear. I want you to think about this. If indeed the Spirit is in you, we'll talk about what this, the trajectory of the spiritual life is in a moment. If you want to, if you want to uh, break free from this cycle, the first step, the first step in all of this is to obey. The first step is to obey. And now I want to remind you from last week's sermon, spiritual growth does not happen in a vacuum. I want to encourage you that if the Spirit is in there, first of all, you have been given the God-given, Spirit-powered ability to obey. And the second thing I want to say is get with a trusted friend, a brother or a sister, confess. Break the cycle. Get with myself. Get with an elder. Whatever you need to do. But today is the day to break that cycle. Now, Paul shares the flip side of this coin, verses 22 and 23. And so he's showed us what it looks like to be all in on our flesh. Now he's going to show us what it means to be all in in the Spirit's guidance. So if we carefully observe the leading of the Spirit, we will what? Bear the fruit of the Spirit. So here he says in verse 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so if as you pursue the Spirit, as you pursue observing what the Spirit would have you do in your life, these are the things that are going to happen. Let me just give you a quick definition for these things. Love is a strong, positive emotion of regard and affection. So as you pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit, you will grow in love. You'll grow in joy, which is great happiness and pleasure, but not superficial, and through hard times. You'll find more joy in your life even when it's hard to be happy. You'll experience peace, harmonious relationships. You'll experience patience, forbearance through pain or unhappiness. As you pursue the, the Spirit, as you, as you carefully observe that lifestyle, as you carefully follow along the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit, you will find goodness and kindness welling up in you. You'll be more warm-hearted, considerate, gentle, sympathetic, Goodness here means moral excellence, but not perfection. It means you're on a trajectory, a continuing increasing of doing good. You'll be faithful, reliable, and committed to the faith. You'll be gentle. Very surprisingly means acting in a gentle manner. There you go. And self-controlled. You see how this fits in with what he's talking about. As you walk by the Spirit, he says in 16, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Why? Because one of the side effects of walking in the Spirit is self-control. You will resolutely control your own desires. Now let's mention this. 
it's important to understand who is the only person who matches this description perfectly. Jesus Christ. He's the only person who has ever demonstrated these characteristics his entire life, never failing. And so what I want you to hear is this. The act of consistently pursuing God. The act of learning who He is. Learning what He's done. Learning what He desires from you. Affirming those things. Trusting and obeying those things. That is what walking in the Spirit is called. And as you do that, carefully navigating your life and what God wants, you're going to bear the produce of being more like Christ. You're gonna, as you become more like Christ, guess what? You're going to be more like Christ. I want to note this. I think it's very important. I tend to think this way at times. The fruits of the Spirit are not intended to be a checklist. They're not intended to be a checklist. So th- th- these are the results of a pursuit of a relationship with Jesus Christ. As we focus on God, as we follow with what he teaches, what happens? They, they, these fruits are produced in us. We'll slowly stop desiring these other things. We'll become a different person. What we cannot do is create these fruits from our own will and our own power. And the second we take this list and make it a checklist, guess what we have done? We have decided to follow the law. As soon as we make this a checklist, as soon as we pursue it that way, we are, there's no different than trying to justify ourselves through the law of God. And so we cannot do that, church. We cannot turn this list into, okay, be more peaceful, be more peaceful, be more peaceful, be more joyous, be more joyous. I immediately was drawn, maybe inappropriately, I don't know, to Seinfeld. Um, and his dad, uh, George Costanza's dad on the show, has an issue with anger. And one of his counselors or a life coach or something said, when you're angry, you need to say serenity now. Serenity now. And so what is, what's the comic relief of the show? When, when George's dad gets very angry, he screams in anger, serenity now. As foolish as that is, as foolish as that is, that's the same thing as us saying with our kids, okay, just be more patient, be more patient, be more patient. It's a mantra. And it doesn't work. We don't have the ability in us, in our fleshly nature, to do these things. We must pursue the Spirit Pursue Christ. We can't conjure up these fruits on our own. As we approach verses 24 and 25, we get kind of a third description. So Paul has told us it's complicated. And what Paul has done is he said, here's what it looks like if you go whole hog into your flesh. And here's what it looks like if you go whole hog into the Spirit. And he says, look at these two things in comparison. And then in verses 24 and 25, he has amazing news for us. Amazing news. This list of what at times feels like unattainable fruits in our lives, for those who've had that redemptive moment where the Spirit has moved in and regenerated your heart, this list in your life is inevitable. You're on a collision course with becoming more like Christ. Look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What is crucified? It means it's a, it's a form of Roman torture where you were nailed to a wooden cross and you would suffocate to death. And so what, what Paul is saying is this very way that Christ was killed is the way that your sin nature has been killed. Your sin nature has been put to death. Again, I mentioned Romans 6 and 7. Romans 6 is all over this. In verses 5 through 11, he says several things. First of all, your old self is crucified. 
Then he need to consider something, Christian, he says in this passage. Consider yourselves alive to Christ and dead to sin. Our sin nature has received the death blow. Like a crucifixion, that death will be long and slow. And so day to day, you may not notice a difference. You may still crave the same things, it seems. You may still be tempted by the same things. But the reality is, Christian, your sin is no longer alive and increasing in strength. No, you have the Spirit. And the Spirit is empowering you to grow. And your, your sinful nature is dying. That's why we need to discourage ourselves from looking at our sinfulness as a gauge for our salvation. We all sin. We all sin. We need to look at our lives as a whole. And so, because our, our sin has been put to death, we look at verse 25, where we started. If we live in the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The scales tip in the direction of our spiritual nature. How? How do we do this? We learn the truth. You've heard me say this a dozen times over the last few weeks. We learn the truth. We obey the truth. We affirm or trust and and obey the truth. As we partake in that faith-deepening cycle, we will become more and more like Christ. And guess what happens? As we become more and more like Christ, the fruits of the Spirit will become evident in our lives. As I was going over the application for the sermon this morning, um, I felt convicted. I felt convicted. And so I want to, I've got a few questions for us, but I, as I was answering these questions for myself this morning, um, it was real. It was real. And so the first question is, using the list in 19 through 21 as a diagnostic tool, what works of the flesh are evident in your life? And so if I'm really honest... <laughs> As I've been quarantined with my family, uh, yesterday, if I, if I, if you could put my, so I guess you don't see back here, but if I could broadcast who I was yesterday, the way I acted yesterday through the live stream, you would know that eight of the 14 things in this list, specifically the relational things, I was a mess. I was, they were works of the flesh all over my life yesterday. They were works of the flesh all over my life. My interpersonal situation was a total mess. And what do we do in those situations? What's our temptation to justify? Well, my kids. Well, my family. Well, the coronavirus. Whatever. Well, no TP. Who knows? But here's what I want to say. I am forced, we are forced to look at that list and not self-justify. That's what the law calls us to do. We are called to do what? Look at that list and call things what they are. So I'm going to call what I was yesterday what it is. I'm going to say it's a work of the flesh, not just because my kids are just because whatever. And so anything on that list, the question is, as you look at that list, where, where are you susceptible to works of the flesh? So maybe, well, Ransom, I only get drunk at home sometimes. I only smoke weed once in a while. Man, but Ransom, that show, yeah, it has lots of nudity in it. Yeah, but I, the story's so good. I know I get angry, but my kids... Man, that guy at work, he really deserves what I give him. Here's the question. Using that list as a tool, what works of of the flesh are evident in your lives? Here's, Here's the deal. We all struggle. We all struggle. We all struggle in sin. We have this complicated situation. We have a nature that loves God and desires God and wants to follow God. And we have this nature that hates him. 
And we've got to keep in step with the Spirit. We've got to label first the works of the flesh in our lives and call them what they are. They are sins. They are us trying to get what our flesh desires. And here's the good news. Yes, they are works of the flesh. Yes, they are sinful. Yes, we are pursuing to feed this beast that cannot be satisfied. But here's the reality, church. There is grace. When you admit, God, look at how I was yesterday. God, look at who, what I did yesterday. God, look at, look at the way I acted even today. Look, God, look at what these works of the flesh. You know what he says to you? I forgive you. There is no rejection. Because of what Christ has done, we are not rejected. Instead, we have the ability, even after failing time after time and repenting time after time, to what? To, to walk and step with the Spirit. We're not kicked out. And so the, the second question is, after looking at that list and labeling the things in our lives that are actually sin and calling them what they are, let us receive grace. And because we have grace, let us pursue God all the more. And so the question is, what steps do you need to take to engage the faith-deepening cycle? So thinking of abiding in Christ, how can I abide deeper with my Lord? Our normal lives right now are an upheaval. We're watching church from home. It's weird. <laughs> it's totally weird. It's weird to preach to five people. I love you guys. It's weird. It's weird. But I tell you, amen. There was somebody amen on that one. Great. Listen. Let's take advantage of this. I know many of you have said in, in meetings before, listen, I'm too busy to get into the Word. I'm too busy to pray. I guarantee in this upheaved, upheaved world, in this world that's different, that you're working from home, all these things are different, you have the opportunity now to build some new habits. Engage the, the faith-deepening cycle. Learn about your Lord through the Scriptures. Affirm that those things are true. And with friends and with your church, trust and obey that. That is walking with the Spirit. And as you do that, guess what's going to happen? You will see the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control increase in your life. Not because you're amazing. Not because you're very handsome. Not because you're great. But because you are walking with the one who can change you. The third question I have, I think it's good to encourage ourselves is to look at that second list. Look at verses 22 and 23 and ask yourself, what fruit of the Spirit do I see? I think oftentimes as, as sinning humans, we really are down on ourselves. And we look at the sin and we want to root that out of our lives, but we rarely take the time to see where God is working and doing good things and walking with you. And so I would encourage everyone, look at that list. Are you more joyous than you were before? Do you have more patience than you had before? Look at your spouse, look at your children, look at your friends and, and affirm in them, hey, you are acting more patient than you used to. You are more kind than you used to. You're more gentle than, I, than you used to be. And as we affirm ourselves and each other, what do we do? We pat ourselves on the back. <clears throat> no, we don't do that. It's not about us. We can't conjure up these things. When we see the fruit of the Spirit, we praise God and pursue Him all the more. So listen, we day by day face these dueling desires in our life. And I think it's helpful in this time of uncertainty, social distancing. The only thing I can think to end on is this. Listen, church, those of you who know Christ, have hope. Have hope. You can't change a thing about this virus. 
You can't change a thing about the economy or your job or the supplies you have or your retirement. You can't change that. But you have been given one call and one call only. That's not to control all the factors of your life so that you feel good about what's going on. You've not been called to make yourself happy. What have you been called to do? Keep in step with the Spirit. And so know this, the Spirit is with you. And as, you, as your life focuses on the Spirit, guess what will happen? You will bear that fruit. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that the sound is still working. <laughs> I pray that we are still streaming, and I pray that you would be with us all in this strange time. As we close this worship service, I pray, Lord, that your gospel, not my mistakes, not my unclarity, un- un- not uh, how good the music sounds, not any of those things, Lord, I pray that your gospel rings true and clear that you love us and you loved us so much that so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for a sinner like me and because he did that because i believe that i am saved i have the spirit i i have been brought back to life and so because i have been brought back to life i pray god for myself and all my brothers and sisters who have been experienced the same that you would guide us lead us help us to walk in a manner of the Spirit. Help us to keep in step with the Spirit, not gratifying the desires of the flesh. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.